Welcome to Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. Our goal here is to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations so you can scrutinize your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. Labor Day weekend is upon us and schools are back in session or gearing up to start the fall semester. Many districts are opting for remote learning for the first nine weeks at least, and this is introducing some conflicts. We're going to talk about two today. Namely, is it reasonable for schools to impose a dress code for online learning? And should parents be barred from watching the virtual classes? But first, camping in the time of COVID. The absence of other recreation options has sent many Americans to the great outdoors. Mike Derrick has a report on his own 12-day hike in the Adirondacks and the Kuroda Kernesies he witnessed on the trail. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn. Let's meet the other members of the team. First up is wife, mother, and attorney, Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Marna. Hi, Mike. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hello, Mike. Hey, good morning, Marna, and good morning, Kelly. Welcome to both of you. Mike, I should say, is fresh off a 135-mile, 12-day hike in the Adirondacks with his wife. I was lucky enough to be on the text message distribution list, so I was getting pictures and updates along the way, which I really appreciated. Mike, I did notice that you got skinnier, more bedraggled, and more tired-looking as the days went on. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing, Ed? Bedraggled. Bedraggled. No one's called me bedraggled lately. Maybe I'm overstating it. Definitely skinnier. So what can you tell us about this epic hike? Well, I would just say everybody should put a backpack on and disappear into the woods for a week or so just to reset. I mean, it was really amazing. Kathy and I walked the Northville Placid Trail, which is the oldest long trail in the Adirondack Park here in New York State. And um, we started in the town of Northville, and we ended up in Lake Placid, New York. It was really remarkable. I'd known about this trail for maybe 45 years, and we'd never taken the time to do it. And so, you know, we're going to talk later today about, you know, the effects of COVID and what it's doing to us and doing to relationships. Well, this COVID caused us to have the time or take the time to go out and do this. And it really was remarkable. So as you said, Marna, 135 miles, 12 days. So, you know, we generally walked 11 to 12 miles a day. Um, It's really rough. I mean, it goes through mud and uphills and downhills, and there's a lot of trees that were blown over the trail. So it's physically challenging. But I'd say most importantly, it just allows you to get back into the woods. And, you know, there's no cell phone signal. There's no telephone ringing. You can't check the uh, can't check your email. It really brings you down to basics. You walk all day and you hope you get to where you want to be. Uh, You figure out how you're going to cook your dinner. You figure out how you're going to pitch your tent so you don't get totally soaked or freeze. You know, you do the simple things like you take care of your feet and you make sure that You've got everything organized for the next morning. So it's it's really elemental. It was a real refreshing thing for both of us. Nice change from being locked in, I'm sure, with yeah. nothing to do. Yeah. yeah. There was one picture of you walking in. It looked like pretty deep water. I mean, it was like up to your knees. Right. So what do you do after that? Do you stop and change your shoes and socks or just yeah. keep going? Good question and very perceptive, Marna. So the beavers get a vote 
on these trails, okay? Beavers like to build dams, and when they build dams, they flood <laughs> new areas. So a beaver had done some work, or a, a beaver lodge had been established, and they'd flooded out about a quarter mile of the trail. So we knew that was coming, because one of the things about being on the trail, and this gets to the theme of our podcast here, Ethics and Etiquette, is that people share information all the time. So we knew this was coming up. People had told us, hey, you know, it's trails flooded north of Cedar Lakes. And so we planned ahead. Uh, and what we did in this case was we took off our socks and just walked with bare feet and shoes. So, you know, again, you've got to when you get out of this thing, you got to stop, you got to dry your feet, you got to dump the water and mud out of your shoes. But we didn't want to have wet socks too, so cleaned up our feet. We often put salve on our feet when they get really wet so they don't blister. And then put on dry socks and put your your re refreshed feet with dry socks into your wet shoes and just keep walking. So And wet shoes are okay? Yeah, for most people. You know, I mean, everybody, everybody's got their own technique. A lot of people like carry water shoes or Crocs or something like that for deep water. I'm not comfortable when I can't see my feet in muddy water. I don't like to have Crocs on because worse than getting your feet wet is slipping and falling and getting hurt. So yeah. I'm curious, what's a typical meal when you're out on the trail? Like, what do you have for breakfast and what do you have for dinner? Because you're carrying uh, everything on your on your back. That's you right. You and your wife, yeah. you both had packs. You carried yeah. all your food for 12 days. Actually, we walked through two towns. So we walked through Paseco, New York, and we walked through Long Lake, New York. And we, we went to the post office, making sure that we were there when the post office was open. Very important safety tip. And we mailed ourselves a box. So we had three days of food in Paseco, and we had three days of food in Long Lake. So we were able to resupply, and uh, that was really helpful, because otherwise it gets really heavy. But typical meal every morning, whether you like it or not, oatmeal. 12 days of oatmeal. Hope you like oatmeal. Yeah, we had two flavors, so that was that was really exciting. You know, was today a, a craisin day, or was today a, an apple day? That was our big uh, morning. See, morning variety. Surprise. Variety, yeah. And then dinner was um, a dehydrated meal. So, I mean, they, and they're really pretty good. Just all sorts of interesting flavors. But at the end of the day, they're highly processed and they're dehydrated. So you boil a pot of water, you dump the dehydrated food in, you stir it, you wait 15 minutes and you, uh, you know, you eat out of the same pot. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Like chicken a la king? Chicken a la king, that lasagna, beef stroganoff, beef stew. I mean, I could go into gory detail here, but mm -hmm. uh, I'll spare our listeners. And how do they taste? They're okay. And when you're hungry, they taste really good. So can't argue with that. I noticed in the pictures of the lean-tos, which are along the trail, which are semi-permanent structures. They're wood and stone, and that's where you sleep for the night. So tell me a little bit about those, and tell me what COVID has changed about staying in the lean-tos. Yeah, great question. So we had 11 nights on the trail. I think we stayed in five lean-tos, because some nights we couldn't get in them. And that's what's changed. So the, there's a code on the trail, and part of the code is that you always welcome a hiker into a lean-to. So even if you arrive at a lean-to, and these are, for folks who don't know what a lean-to is, it's about, it has about 150 square feet of floor space. It's maybe 15 feet wide and 10 feet deep. It's a three-sided structure made out of logs. So they make them right on site. There are hundreds and hundreds of them in the Adirondacks. And uh, we stayed in five of them. But when someone is in a lean-to, the code is that you have to welcome them. 
you can't turn them away, especially if they come in late in, late at night or the uh, the weather's bad. But in COVID, it's a little different. And what we found were people were extremely polite and very, very courteous, but there was a sense of, hey, you know, you may not want to be that close to us, and we may not want to be that close to you. So we always respected that. We tried to get to the lean-to first. It's first come, first serve. You can't reserve them. But if somebody came in late at night, you welcomed them. We had that happen once. A young kid was walking by himself. So we took 12 days to do this. He did it in six. So do the math. Wow. Uh, he, he was he, he was, was hammering it out some. Yeah, he was he was hammering pretty hard. But he came in late at night. He looked beat up. He looked tired. And uh, he had a tent, so he pitched a tent close to the lean-to. And we just said, hey, you come in here. We'll move over to the side, give you all the room you need, and you can cook your food. Because it's a really convenient, easy way to sit. And you, you get a place to sit. You have a flat surface to set up your stove and cook your food. So that worked out. But people were very respectful. People stayed away. You know, they kept their distance, um, and frankly, you didn't see that many people. It was different. It was very refreshing in a lot of ways. Mike, is the trail easy to follow? Can can you get lost? It is very easy to follow. It's marked very well, uh, little blue discs which are hammered into the trees. We did not get lost. We made a couple wrong turns at just complicated intersections, but, you know, we figured out we were going the wrong way within two or three minutes and then backtracked so it was very easy how did you get into hiking you didn't just decide to do this and go do it for the first time right no we've we've done a lot of this over the years but it's been a long time in a previous life I was an infantryman so I did a lot of this for my work but this is very different you know in that you try to go as light as possible and you don't carry heavy weapons so we had not been backpacking for about five years and we just wanted to do it because one of the things that I knew and I was I was reminded of is how good it is for you and I really think I've had some back troubles over the years and my back feels better now after 12 days with a 30 pound pack than it has in literally four or five years that's amazing wonderful yeah it was really wonderful so at these lean-tos, is there a water point? What do you do for water? They will always have a water source, a stream, a lake, a pond, and then you purify your water. Most folks have a, a filter system. You can boil it, but that's very time-consuming, and it takes a whole lot of fuel. Some people throw iodine tablets in, but uh, we filtered, and that worked fine. So, so for the benefit of our listeners who mm-hmm. want to try this trail, Tell us again the name of the trail and where it's located. It's the Northville Placid Trail, and it's in the Adirondack Park in New York State. So if you're thinking about going hiking, well, the beauty of the Northville Placid Trail, unlike, for example, the Appalachian Trail, is that it doesn't climb over the peaks. So for people who... It's one thing to walk through the woods with a backpack on. It's something entirely different to climb thousands of feet with a backpack on. So this trail stays in the valleys and just goes by the most efficient route from Northville, New York, to Lake Placid, New York. And it goes through some of the most remote parts of New York State. So we were, we were literally at some points like 15, 20 miles from the nearest road. So you're really out there. It's a remarkably beautiful place. So I'd highly so- recommend it to folks. So, Mike, for hikers like me, there aren't lovely hotels like every couple of miles that you could just stay in. I asked if there was a Sherpa service. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, Kelly, uh, the hotels are a little sparse, i.e. there's two towns you could find a hotel in. In the spirit of full disclosure, folks, I just want to let you know we did take one hotel night. So we stayed in Long Lake, New York in a remarkable old wooden hotel that you know most of most of the hotels like that have long since burned down around here but we had a great meal and we slept in a soft bed and took a shower and so that was that was quite a treat you know it's sort of again it your perspectives and your your uh the way you look at things changes a lot when you're in the woods. So those simple pleasures were much appreciated. So I think for Kelly and me, the in-to-in option would be something we'd want to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, go to Vermont. Go to Vermont. Vermont in-to-in. Yeah. Yes. Vermont has some great in-to-in things. We'll leave that so, remote hiking yeah. to you and your wife, Kathy. But I'm so glad you had a good time, and thanks for telling us all about it. Yeah. Yeah, one more question, Mike. When's the next trip? Well, I think we're going to go canoeing in about two weeks. Wow, and And will that entail camping or? Yeah, that'll be a a remote canoeing trip, probably four days through part of the area we were actually in this this week, something we also enjoy doing. And then I think we're going to take another hike. We crossed a trail during this uh, hike that we were intrigued by. It's called the French Louis Trail, uh, much shorter, 35 miles. It was in uh, a part of the trip that we really enjoyed, so we'd like to go down and try that one out. Hey, Marna, maybe we could, well, actually, because you usually take care of it, maybe we could put some info on the website about these two trails. We can. Yeah. We could even post a picture of Mike and Kathy if it's okay with him. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That would be fun. (laughs) The one wading through the stream, that would be interesting. You know, I just want to finish with one thought, and that is that when you're out in the woods, you really depend on people. And we talked a moment ago about good information when people would tell us where the trail was flooded. But there was, you know, this whole pandemic, I think, has brought people together in a lot of ways. And we just found there was a much different sort of ethic or ethos out on the trail. And people were more engaged. They were more helpful. They knew you were there and kind of depending on them. And it was a little more out in the open than we've experienced in the past when we're hiking. Because when you're really out there, you know, you're you're depending on people if something goes wrong. And, you know, we had one incident where we got to help a young man out who'd had a medical issue. And so we broke out our med kit and uh, helped him out. And he would have done it for us. And in this case, we were doing it for him. So there's really a, a better, like in a lot of different places in our society now, that sense of community is a little strengthened, like we're all in this together. And uh, we really sense that on the trail. Well, that's something good to hear about. Yeah. Let's move on to our scenarios for today. We have two scenarios, and they both revolve around remote schooling. Schooling's getting ready to start. This is the first fall semester with remote schooling, and it's introducing a lot of new situations that we as a society have to consider. The first one, and this comes from people.com, and the headline is Illinois School District's Remote Dress Code Forbids Students from Wearing Pajamas for Class. An Illinois school district's dress code for students choosing to learn remotely amid the coronavirus pandemic doesn't want students lounging in their PJs for class. Under an updated handbook from Springfield Public Schools, students who participate in online classes for the 20 21 school year will be subject to the district's current dress code, which prohibits pajama pants. The new changes, which also forbids hoods, sunglasses, and bandanas, has upset some parents, 
many of whom believe the no pajama dress code is a little too strict. One parent said, quote, I don't think they have any right to say what happens in my house. I think they have enough to worry about as opposed to what the kids are wearing. They need to make sure they're getting educated. The school district has said their hope is that students approach remote learning as they would in a classroom setting to the extent possible. However, we understand the interpretation of the dress code in a remote learning environment will differ from normal school setting. It has no plans to punish students who do not abide by the wardrobe guidelines. And, quote, if there is a specific concern as it relates to dress code, we will address it individually with the student and their family. So, Kelly... Dress codes for remote learning. Is that unreasonable or reasonable? It's dumb. (laughs) I mean, it's really dumb. I mean, doesn't the school district have something better to do? They have more important things to focus on, right? (laughs) I mean, like substantive matters related to kids' education, curriculum, technology, teachers. I mean, first of all, you can't even see the PJ pants on a Zoom call or WebEx, right? They may not Um, even be wearing pants at all. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and here's the other thing. The technology permits the teacher or the host to turn off that individual camera. If the teacher believes a student is not dressed appropriately or is sitting there with silly sunglasses, just turn off the camera. And really, don't kids have enough to deal with? I mean, they're stuck with COVID-19. They're at home again. Most of the last semester, they were home. They're having to navigate this. They can't sit there in their PJ pants. I mean, this is just typical government. And then the end of the article that that you cited, Marna, right after they implemented the policy, then they say, oh, we're going to be flexible. Oh, we're not going to punish anybody who, who doesn't comply. What? The point is, why implement a policy that you then say doesn't really mean anything? Good point. Mike, do you agree? Yeah, I'm with Kelly. I think we've got bigger fish to fry right now. And she's got a great point about teachers being able to control who's on the screen and who's not, what's seen by the others. So it just seems silly to me. I mean, I look at our school districts around here and the challenges they face and, I mean, really fundamental things, like how do they get kids back and forth to school for those that are going to try to open up for a couple days each week. And again, you guys have heard me talk about this time and again, but I'm going to do it one more time. There's kids up here who don't even have an internet connection. And so this whole idea of remote learning for them is just impossible. So What are they doing for school if they have no internet connection? Very frankly, some are not getting much in the way of contact. You can get a hotspot over a cell phone, but that at some point becomes very expensive. And, you know, some families can't afford that given the... uh, the amount of data that is being consumed right now. So these are bigger problems. You know, we're one of the things that schools have begun to do is they put uh, they put mobile hotspots on buses, and they drive buses to certain locations uh, where they know kids are or where kids can come to, uh, like a parking lot, and literally families will drive to a parking lot where there's a mobile hotspot, and then their kid has some access. So. Wow. So they're well, doing you know school what? in the car. Their kid better be dressed appropriately. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Kelly, for bringing up that very important point. So, yeah, it just it just doesn't make sense, I mean, in terms of what we, what we really have to be grappling with here. True. We do have bigger fish to fry. I'm going to depart slightly from my colleagues here. I'm speaking as a, a mother of two 
and a former university instructor and somebody who works at home, too. When I was teaching college, some of my students would come to class wearing pajama bottoms. And I was always kind of shocked and mortified that they didn't make an effort to get dressed in real clothes, like they thought that was that was a valid outfit. I remember, Kelly, when you and I were in college, we used to go to classes in our sweats, which wasn't much better, I'll say that. It says a lot when you make an effort, get dressed, put on some nice clothes, and show up. And I think that's what the school district is trying to do, is to set up like a psychological threshold. Now, speaking as a mother, if I had to do this remote learning, I would get my kids up, we would have breakfast, they would shower, whatever, get dressed, and start school. We would have a routine and a ritual, and I think that would be a good way to enhance learning if we had to do it that way. I say that as somebody whose children are both grown, so... I'm not exactly down there in the trenches, but I think that's the motivation behind this school district is just to get people, you know, psychologically involved in the learning and not just roll out of bed and hit the laptop. Yeah, I mean, I get your point, but, and it may be well-intentioned, but they need to stay in their lane. They really do. And, And there are many, many issues in today's world that need to be dealt with. And parents should be able to decide how their children dress when they sit in front of a computer in their own home. Will you accept that it's a strong suggestion? And can we deal with the other larger issues at the same time? No, I think it's dumb. <laughs> no. Hmm. I just Kelly's think sticking dumb. to her guns here. <laughs> and they'll advise. And they need to focus. These are paid you know, local government officials, they need to focus on substantive issues, issues that matter. And if this was important to them, they should have done a little bit more research and realized that they didn't even need to deal with the issue, that the technology would allow them to deal with it, period. Do you feel the same way about the bandanas and head coverings too? Yeah, I do. I I think the technology allows them to deal with it. When the teacher sees a kid with a bandana or sunglasses or a hoodie on, They can simply go into their computer as the host and remove that video so that that student cannot be seen by the teacher or by other students. See, and that's going to get to that student because they're doing it to be be noticed. You do that enough and, yeah, you get the message across. I just think the, the school took the wrong approach in terms of tone. I mean, the headline here is they have forbidden this. You know, you can handle that very differently. Oh, I agree. Hey, you know, the expectation is that when you show up on a Zoom call, uh, you are presentable, just as you would be in school. We have the way we have to dress for school. You know, that's the expectation when you're at home. But this whole idea of forbidding it and making it so onerous, people will just take offense at that. Yeah, and then it was all over the news. It was in People, New York Times, you know, Hartford Current, newspapers all over the country. And then the school board or the local officials just completely backpedal. And then they look worse. Yeah, not a good look for those guys. Yeah, Going into the strong suggestion mode would have been much more useful for all concerned. All right, we have a slight difference of opinion there. Nothing wrong with that. Let's move on to the next scenario. This took place in Tennessee. This is from the Tennessee Star. Parents of students who attend Rutherford County Schools in Tennessee must agree not to monitor their child's online classroom sessions. Officials at all county schools are asking parents to sign forms agreeing not to watch these virtual classes. Rutherford County Schools strives to present these opportunities in a secure format that protects student privacy to the greatest extent possible. However, because these meetings will occur virtually, Rutherford County Schools is limited 
in its ability to fully control certain factors such as non-student observers that may be present in the home of a student participating in the virtual meeting. According to the form, we strongly discourage non-student observation of online meetings due to the potential of confidential information about a student being revealed. The form asks parents for their signature and warns that, quote, violation of this agreement may result in the school removing my child from the virtual meeting. The county spokesperson says the intent was not to prevent parents from being involved with their children during distance learning, but was intended to protect the academic privacy of other students in the classroom who are visible during certain virtual class sessions. Mike, tell me what you think about that. Would you agree it's okay to exclude parents or to agree not to watch the online schooling for the reasons stated? You know, I I think back to my many years in the Army, and we always used to say that never make a rule that, number one, you can't enforce, or number two, you're not willing to enforce. And I think this falls into both of those categories. And I think it's silly. I also think it's a little presumptuous on the part of that school. How many families, and I know both of you have had, Kelly, you've got a lot of family at home all the time. Marna, you've had family in recently who were working from home. You run out of space. You know, does everybody get their you own do. room with a door that shuts? Yeah, no. not, not no, in a lot of houses. Pe- people sitting on the couch doing their work. That's, that's right. Or in right. the bathroom. <laughs> or yeah. in the bathroom. Have a nice counter or in, in a closet, right, Marna? <laughs> right. And, that's where uh, I am right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's why we have headphones, and that's why people are respectful. And I just think it comes at it from, just like this, the dress code uh, issue, it comes at it from the wrong angle with the wrong language. You know, this this whole pandemic is redefining the way we operate at work, the way we operate at school, and the way we operate within families. It's redefining relationships. Things are not like they used to be. And so for a school to come in heavy-handed like this and say, don't monitor your kid's schooling is, I think, it again, makes no sense. They have better things to worry about. They were very heavy-handed with their policy. I will say that. Kelly, you have three kids, including one who's in high school still. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm not as diplomatic as Mike. He's... he's He's so nice and diplomatic. He's so nice. That's why you're an attorney, Kelly, okay? (laughs) So the first example was dumb. This one's dumber. I mean, it's like dumb and dumber. (laughs) This is really silly, to use Mike's words. It's just another example of Big Brother stepping in where they totally don't belong. And by the way, it makes no sense. Whose privacy are they protecting? What are they talking about? confidential information about a student being revealed. What? This is a public classroom. There's other students there, often 20 plus. It's not private or confidential information if there's a bunch of other kids sitting there hearing it. I mean, this is ridiculous. Also, when you have younger kids, you better be nearby. When I think about my kids when they were young, like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, if I put them in front of a computer and left them alone, I'd come back and they'd be watching TV or they'd be running around in circles. They're not going to be sitting in front of the monitor, a kindergartner no. <laughs> or first grader yeah, yeah. doing their so work. True. I mean, what planet? You know, this is really, you know, the typical government that thinks they know better. And I think that's what you said, Mike, right? Yeah. I tell you, Kelly, you had this way with words, uh, dumb and dumber. 
Everybody will remember that. They won't remember anything I said. But no, you're absolutely right. I don't think right. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I, I mean, it's just, it's just silly. I think we need to always question authority. I think that's a good thing. And I think even if they're well-meaning, and I think we need to push back if it doesn't make sense and be skeptical. I think libertarians often have it right. You know, they want to promote civil liberties, and they also want to limit the size and scope of government. And I think government best works when it's small and limited and focuses on the important issues. One question this article brought up for me is, would they also prohibit a parent from visiting an actual physical classroom and just observing a class because of student confidentiality if we were in in the schools? Well, I think... I mean, just from having, you know, visited schools recently, or if I go to pick up my son, you know, for an orthodontist appointment, they are, you know, because of all the issues with safety, they are very careful. I mean, to enter the school, you know, you have to ring a buzzer, you have to state the reason you're there, you go into a confined office area that, you know, actually the doors behind you are, and in front of you are are locked, you know, they have to click something to let you leave that office area and enter the physical school building. So usually, you're going to remain in that office, you you wouldn't be able to like go into a classroom. I, I don't, I mean, I assume if you asked and got permission, but I think they would be very concerned more about safety issues than anything. Well, I remember when my kids were younger doing a lot of volunteering in the classroom while class was in session, and there was never any concern about privacy then. My experience is schools are desperate to get parents to be involved. You know, the the more parent involvement, typically the better the school. Right. So but they are careful. I mean, you have to do, I mean, just from recently volunteering, you have to do an extensive background check. Right. You're not allowed right. until the background check comes back okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then even then, usually the volunteering is limited to, you know, like a field trip or an activity that's off of school premises is my experience. Yeah, that's true. They did formalize it quite a bit. And I remember having to sign an agreement stating that I understood um, the expectations of volunteering and privacy concerns and all that stuff. So one thing um, I think this issue is a part of, a bigger part of, is this blending of work, home, and school under these pandemic conditions. And we're all just figuring it out. The school administrators, the parents, we're blazing a trail. We've never had anything like this. And uh, sometimes it seems like the schools are coming out a little too heavy-handed. I think parent pushback is good. We're all going to figure it out together. It's all new. And another thing I've noticed since March, or it's been confirmed to me, is Americans, it's in our DNA that we work better without having things imposed on us. We work better by having things explained to us and help us understand the reasons for doing certain things. It's a much better way of approaching us as a whole, as a society. Trust us with the uh, knowledge and the information and let us make the sound decisions on our own. Yeah, that's a good point, Marna. And I could not agree with you more that we are figuring this out. And I think we're at a very critical time now. This is the, the last week of August, at least around here. Schools are preparing to open up. And this is uncharted territory. We don't know how long we can do this. And school around here, at least, is pretty limited. I mean, we have maybe half the student body in the school at any given time. And then there's usually a cleaning day in the middle of the week. So you think about personal contact hours. They have just plummeted teacher-student contact hours. So, But the students are actually going to the physical school. That's what we're going to try. 
And I know many other areas are working towards that goal also, but it's a little shaky. We just had a nursing home around here blow up with uh, 60 cases. Oh, wow. That's tragic. Huge. Just, I mean, it caught people totally off guard. It's a very stark warning to our schools. So the schools haven't gone back yet. And just before the schools start to go back, we have this explosion of uh, infection at a nursing home. They may adjust their plan. I know yeah. for my my son who's in high school, um, it was supposed to be a hybrid situation, remote, some remote learning, and two days at the school, and you know reduced. You know, kids were going on different days, small classrooms, and in any event, they about a week ago they they moved back and just said no, all remote until at least October twelfth. Wow, and that's where we are wow. here, and. In, in our area, you know, the virus is under control. The area is doing quite well. Well, I live in a college town, and they're starting up the semester. And the students have all just returned to campus, but they have very strict uh, mask requirements on the campus, inside and outside the buildings. The only time you can take your mask off is in your dorm room. They have a mandatory testing. You get a notification. You have to show up and get tested for covid And um, they have contact tracing apps that everybody has to install in their phone. They think it's important to get everybody together Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. learning. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting couple weeks, folks. Yes, stay tuned. Hey, let's keep this conversation going. Do you have something you want to add? Leave us an email or a voicemail at our website, www.ethicsandetiquette.com. Check out our Instagram, at ethicsetiquette and our Facebook page, Ethics and Etiquette. If you want to support what we're doing, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And we'd appreciate it if you took time to leave a positive review while you're there. And thank you to all of you who keep recommending Ethics and Etiquette to your friends and family. For Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn. And this is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. Please join us again. New episodes are posted the first and third Wednesdays of every month. See you then. For once, Marna, I had an end note. So. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even My ask. My end me. note was take a walk in the woods. Doesn't <laughs> have to be long. Just take a walk in the woods. I think that came across in your description no of the hike. No worries.